Good, good to, to see you again, Peter. Nice to see you. Nice to see myself. Thank you. Yes. It's good nice. to see you on the screen. <laughs> nice to be seen. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Man. So, so you're out of town next week. So that's why we have to I do am. it this week. Yes. Hey, we're, we're keeping it every two weeks. So we're, we're on the, uh, we're trying. We're doing well. And then, so I'm out of town next week and then you're out of town the week after that. Yeah. So I'm going to sounds, I'm hanging out with Sean Morris, you know, Sean Morris. Oh, sweet. I do know oh, Sean. We're going to be drinking. Uh, Oban whiskey and smoking pipes and uh, wow, talking theology. I'm really looking forward to hanging out with him. So I'm absolutely Sean. Jealous. If you're watching this, looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I plan on doing some of that this next week. So nice. Um, yes, yes. I don't know folks, if I'll have we are Oban. whiskey drinkers. I hope all of the people that listen <laughs> will still listen to us, even though we're whiskey drinkers. That is true. Uh, yeah, not too much. Well, I like whiskey because you really can't drink it that much. You have to stop after like two. It's not like gin. Oh yeah. You could keep going, Jen. That's why I stay away from it. So, whiskey is like, you know, you have to you have to drink it slow. I don't even. I can't drink gin sipping sipping wise. I I have a gin and tonic, but you no, are, yeah. the yeah, just a shot of bourbon is good. That'll that'll last me um, the night. So all right. So yeah, enough about that. Yeah, <laughs> we are talking about queer theory today, which I actually think is. Uh, this is going to be a place where I think a lot of our viewers, a lot of our listeners are going to see how it's definitely applied all throughout our culture, um, especially as we're talking about the Equality Act and what that's going to do. I think this chapter was extremely informative on where this philosophy is, where it came from, what it's trying to do. It was kind of eye opening reading it for a second time, the, especially parts where they're they're actually not really they say explicitly that they're not. Uh, concerned about truth. They're not concerned about biology. They're not concerned about bi um, they're not concerned about uh, science, but they are concerned about um, turning this into um, queering, which is a social construction. And they, they actually say this um, over and over again, and I didn't have to make this up. Um, that's actually they uh, they would like to do this so that it's a lot easier to be an advocate because if it's a social construction, if gender is a social construction, um, then advocacy work is a lot easier, but we'll, we'll yeah. jump right. Yeah. We could jump in and just talk to our listeners what queer theory is. Mm. Um, and I don't mind yeah. defining it really quick. If, um, okay. Yeah. So queer theory, uh, is just really about the liberation from what is normal, uh, especially when we look at binaries, uh, and what queer theory is trying to do is when it looks at gender and sexuality, they want to make a distinction between these two things. Uh, and it require it really um, sees or regards the very existence of categories, any type of categories of sex, any categories of gender, sexuality um, are oppressive for them. Uh, and um, queer theory, uh, because it derives directly from postmodernism, it is really skeptical of any time I put something in a binary term. So mm -hmm. categorizing you and I as males, for example, they're they're going to want to. They're fine with us categorizing ourselves that way, but we need to ask permission. Um, this is why what's changing on a lot of college campuses, um, why we should we should never assume that somebody who looks like a quote man is a man because we don't know how they categorize themselves. Uh, queer theory does ignore biology um, nearly completely. Um, in fact, it doesn't like when people bring in biology in the discussion because they, again, they feel like biology, which it does, puts things in species, it puts things in male and female categories, it puts roles on these things. 
Um, and it does little to encourage accessibility to with most people. And in fact, um, it, it can be very difficult to plow through and really try to understand. But um, it really presumes that oppression follows from categorization. And that's when, yeah. whether you're reading from Judith Butler, Sedwick, whatnot. Um, if you're categorizing, you're going to oppress. So I don't know if you wanted to add anything there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think you're you're right on the the idea. They open up the chapter with uh, their goal is really to blur the categories, blur and confuse the boundaries of sexual um, identity because it can uh, it, it's a it's a means of sort of um, I guess pushing back on the or reflecting upon the power of language and recognizing that that you know to this takes us back to the whole applied postmodernism. And this is taking some some of Michel Foucault's um, postmodern theories and applying them into a social justice construct um, in terms of, of sexuality. So they, they focus on uh, recognizing that language creates categories, enforces them, and then scripts people into them. And the blurring of boundaries, the, the boundaries uh, are arbitrary, oppressive, and can be erased by blurring them into apparent absurdity. So really that's the goal, right? They want to categor they want to blur the boundaries so that they are viewed as absurd and unhelpful. And and then we can get rid of sort of this no this theory of normal normativity. Um and uh anyways, I, I so I think I think yeah. you're right. They they do talk about the binary thinking really being false, uh false thinking and wanting to it's really where what the idea of queering comes from, right? To just get rid of that binary thinking across the board in every, yeah, in every sphere. Yeah. And also the other thing too, that um, they would also say that rigid categories will lead to not just oppression, but possible violence and mm. um, scripting people into them. When you're scripting somebody into a category that maybe they're uncomfortable with, it they would call that violence, which is one of the reasons why say, for example, even the equality act or schools, it's you'll often hear a lot of LGBTQ advocates say this is a form of violence. If you were to mispronounce somebody's name, it should be seen as a hate crime. Those types of things. This is really mm -hmm. where a lot of this is coming from. Um, I, I, what, I, I would also say, too, that queer theory also makes the use of these to satisfy its ultimate purpose, which is to identify and make visible the ways in which the linguistic existence of these categories create oppression and disrupt them. So just reading right there. So they constantly want to read. They just want to disrupt all categories as much as they can so yeah. that we can blur the bound that the boundaries can be blurred and we could see that these are oppress the, uh, oppressive and therefore they want to lead us into some type of actual absurdity. Absurdity for queer theory is actually good. Um, right. Chaos is good for queer theorists. Uh, it's good that we talk about incoherence, a logic, you know, talk about intelligibility, things that are incomprehensible. That is actually where they would like you to go. Um, I think, I think you brought up this last week, a few weeks ago, how Judith Butler, one of the authors, I think she won two or three times the worst sentence in um, you know, of the year, something like mm -hmm. that. Worst written sentence. I'm sure she kind of boasted about that, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was like a, a, that was a genuine award for them. Yeah, yeah, good for you. That, yeah, like no, we were successful, <laughs> yes, even though it was kind of a, a mocking award. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I think the what I did find this a little bit. Um, 
fascinating or interesting just to to they they point out the brief history of queer theory and they connect the idea of Christianity and Greek culture both being really opposing views on on homosexuality, uh, recognizing that in Christian history, male homo homosexuality has been considered a heinous sin. And yet, and we'll talk maybe later on in this episode a little bit about how that's being blurred now within the boundaries of the, you know, within the church. Um, but you have also the Greek culture viewing homosexuality as acceptable uh, for a man to have sex with um, an adolescent boy until they reach an age where they would marry and then they would have sex with women. So that being an acceptable practice and yet both, you know, what they, what, why they point that history out is to compare the two and say that they viewed homosexuality as an act. It was a deed that was done, not an identity that someone, you know, that like defined everything about a person. Um, it, so they specifically say this in both cases, however, homosexuality was something that people did rather than who they were. I think that's pretty important because once we start to acknowledge, once we, once we suggest that our sexuality is what defines us, then you really are turning that into a religion, right? You're, you're turning your sexuality into the thing you worship. Um, and, and there's just no place for that. There's no compatibility between that and Christianity. So. Yeah, no. And also, too, I think the history has has exploded because our understanding of sex and gender has, um, well, our understanding of sex and gender has actually not changed. Although we may regard homosexuality the last century and a half, we've made a lot of we've made a lot of changes about how we view homosexuality. But our understanding of um, uh, of sex and gender actually has changed much less, according to the book. And we've always, mm. uh, so gender roles though have changed considerably. I think that's the main point. And I think that's what, you know, the public sphere and the mind um, and the body, where people used to say that the men represented the man represented the mind and women represented the body, um, that those attitudes have quite changed quite a bit. You know, so sex is to gender as man is to manly or woman as womanly, for example. I mean, just with that sentence, um, the idea that gender seems to have always been with us. Um, in other words, sex is to, you know, we've always kind of made this distinction between sex and gender in some way, the gender, like gender roles, but we never completely separated the two. And, um, you know, so I think the history has really kind of gone off on trying to examine those roles and then to make the equation, to make the, equivocation that because these roles are different and they can be different, therefore it must also apply that sex can also be fluid as well. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, so, um, you know, right now we've seen a lot of gender uh, roles change quite a bit. Women are actually in the workforce. Women are, are allowed to vote. Women are doing things that they couldn't have done even 60, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So that is just kind of, um, you know, changed a lot of people's assumption that, well, that, that must then therefore mean that if gender roles are so fluid, is, is sex also somehow fluid since the two mm -hmm. seem to be um, in power with one another or in relationship with one another? Yeah. And, the, and, um, they're in that denial of the binaries, the denial of the, um, categories, categories that even are denying biological 
right, scientific categories. And that comes from, again, Michel Foucault and on page 93, they talk about the concept of biopower, which is the power of scientific discourses. And so they, they're, again, pushing back on that, wanting to redefine um, what we mean by by sex and yeah. uh, gender roles. So queer theorists, it says, um, believe that sex, gender, and sexuality are are social constructs. So therefore they depend upon the prevailing culture and they're less concerned about material progress than about dominant discourses erect uh, or about how dominant discourses erect and enforce categories like male, feminine, and gay. Mm. So I, I thought, I thought that was, um, you know, that's important to see the, that, that they're not so much concerned. You just point that out, right? We've made progress. We're seeing, we're seeing um, less injustice toward women. And yet that's not really the, the concern. It's, it's what are the discourses that, that uh, mm. we're telling and we're teaching um, because that's, that's, a, that's yeah. all they want to critique. Well, and not to jump ahead, but that's exactly when we start critiquing critical race theorists, people right. like Jamar, Jamar Tisby, Kendi, uh, they they will refuse to acknowledge very very often will they won't um, acknowledge any type of of progress right you know so theorists are very suspicious of progress which is the which is one of the th differences that they have with classical liberals like Steven Pinker for example so Steven mm -hmm. Pinker is a classical liberal he's often very critical of theorists like queer theorists and critical race theorists because they're of their suspicion of progress. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, but the queer, I should say this too, just as a, to queer, what does that mean? Um, mm -hmm. To queer is just, is really to, ref it really refers to anything that falls outside binaries. That, right. So, so there's the noun and then there's the verb, you know, so to, so that that's where they like to make that distinction that the noun queer, the person who is queer is outside the binary of male and female. Um, I remember yeah. having a person that, yeah, I remember uh, I was in a, I was uh, in a training once and there was a person that was a queer individual and um, he didn't really have, or she, whatever, didn't really go by any pronouns. You could say he, you could say she, they didn't really mind <laughs> at all. Okay. But, um, but queer theory though, is a political, is very much a political project. And this is what kind of, this is my, uh, you know, I was, I was really, my jaw dropped a little bit when I read this again, that queer theory's political agenda is to challenge what is called normativity, that some things right. are more common or regular to the human condition. And so the verb to queer is to try to get out or try to point out all the normative categories that are in our society and to identify things like hetero or cis or thin, for example, of, 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 of somebody who's not obese. And the reason for that when you're using it as a verb is because you want to start casting doubt on these, on these quote, stable structures and to disrupt fixed categories and really offer any type of, you know, um, skeptical view of anyone that wants to put things into binaries. And that's what queering really is. It's about unmasking any sense of the normal. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I did. So there's a, uh, they're going to resist categories and distrust right. language. Go ahead. Yeah, we keep saying we keep saying the same thing. It is a very yeah, it's a bit of a redundant uh, it's a redundant uh, idea, right? Because every it's just it comes down to let's get rid of categories. We we want to <coughs> what queer theory is about liberating people from the category that they've been placed in, 
And so if you are, if you want to, I, you know, accept a category or something like that, well then I guess uh, uh, the, the idea is try to try to disassociate yourself from that category. Eventually they talk about the, the fact that there are, um, that really it's a spectrum, not a binary, right? So if you're on a spectrum, then we're all a little bit gay. We might be more so than others. And some of us might be more accepting of that idea than others. But the idea is that we're all a little bit there. And if we explored uh, a boundaryless, you know, we got rid of our boundaries, we would, we would be able to, um, I guess, enjoy and appreciate that all the more, which is the concern I have. And I'm just going to throw this out there real quick, but not mm -hmm. say much about it because sure. I haven't thought through it. But that's the concern a lot of people have with side B Christianity, which is this idea that that um, that you can be a homosexual Christian. And as long as you're not acting on those desires or you're not acting upon the identity as a homosexual, uh, then you're you're still honoring the Lord, you're still being a faithful Christian, a follower of Christ. And it sort of removes this idea of there being a, um, you know, that sin begins in the heart and there's a lust that, that is already contrary to God's will for your life. And, um, so I think side B Christianity blurs that much like queer theory has taught, uh, has taught us to do. So anyways, that we yeah. may have another time to talk about that. I didn't want to go too off topic from the chapter of the book, but I just, in, in terms of my own pastoral ministry, that's a subject that. I mean, what's that called that, again? Psy, what's it called? Side B or? Side B Christianity. Oh, side, you know, side, B. side A would be the typical. Oh, like a cassette you know, tape, side A and side B. Yeah, okay. right. All right. Yes. Okay. So you can still be a Christian, but you're holding to a various, a different view of homosexuality and trying to. Mm. trying to limit the extent that you know, or to suggest that you can actually even celebrate your identity as a homosexual as long as you're not acting upon those desires like your your goal as a homosexual christian would be to honor god in your um abstaining from mm -hmm. sexual sin i will um, say though what's interesting though about homosexuality it's it, it's it it relates, but it doesn't because there are people who are gay who are also very against queer theory. Um, right. People like Dave Rubin, for example. Dave Rubin is yeah. a gay man. Um, uh, in fact, there's, I would even say, older homos, uh, people who are gay, who identify as gay, like around the 1960s and 70s, um, uh, are a little skeptical of some of where the things, you know, where Judith Butler goes because she does. Um, want to get rid of all categories and many males yeah. who are gay are actually quote proud gay men especially with lesbians a lot of lesbians are actually not they don't identify as queer queer theorists um they are proud as for being a lesbian <laughs> you know so yeah there's actually a lot of, this is the and i like to bring that up because a lot of people assume that lgbt lgbtq they all agree on the exact same things they're all united they yeah. yeah, and and that's that's one of the, th the 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 ways the left really will cudgel people in the middle, or moderates, or even liberals, or even you know classical liberals or people on the right, because they are constantly saying, "Well, you don't, you are a anti, you're 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 homophobic," and they use that mm -hmm. they use the fallacy of equivocation, putting all LGBT people in one giant category. When really, I think if you can kind of break up huge amounts of disagreements in those categories, then you could already kind of say that, you know, queer theory is very different from, you know, these types of disagreements, even amongst 
other gays and lesbians, for example. Yeah. 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 No, that, I mean, that's a good point. There's, there's obviously not, a, they're not unified in, in their approach as much as it's presented. Because one thing that the book, yeah. Cause one thing that book brings up in 96 is that, you know, very few, uh, very few people are strict biological essentialists anymore. And those who are shown to be wrong by scientists, but, and everyone nearly accepts that some combination though, a few in biology and culture comes together to create expressions of sex, gender, and sexuality. In other words, you just can't ignore the bio biological right. influence of, you know, nature versus nurture, basically. And that's what that sentence is saying, is anyone who is too dogmatic on nature versus nurture or nurture versus nature is committing a biological error. Now, queer theorists would strongly disagree with that. They're, they're radically social constructivists. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why when we interviewed Dr. Um, uh what was the guy that came on a few <laughs> podcasts ago i can't remember yeah, the yeah. name. yeah oh shoot yeah uh, the doctor that we you know we interviewed a few podcasts ago uh this is a problem doing things live. a while ago a yeah while a ago. while ago you know but he said that there's not there's not one scientific paper out there um that has proven that gender and sex are two different things because queer theorists are they're not using the scientific method they're not using biology to prove their points they're social constructivists and so science is actually not welcome uh, because again, science is all about categories. Categories are therefore violent. And so biologists and psychologists even are often advancing knowledge of how the sexes differ. I teach a lot of psychology. I'm constantly talking about male aggression, female aggression, how they're interrelated, how they're different, all of those things. A queer mm -hmm. theorist will go in, in my class and say that I'm you know, providing way too many categories and I'm being violent in some way. And that really comes through Michel Foucault's, I don't want to repeat myself, but his power knowledge. But one of the things I really liked about this chapter, though, is that I wanted to, you know. Hey, they, I, I, got, I looked up that name. It's Jeffrey, Dr. Jeffrey Barrows. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but I wanted to, because uh, I want I'd love to get your, you know, power knowledge is what we just have just talked about. Power is everywhere. Right. This is the first chapter that really talks about woke you know, that this, this mm. is where it kind of introduces it because being woke, you know, and we, is being able to see that everything around us is embraced by these power structures is present on yes. all levels of society. Yep. And that power works like this for Foucault, not because it has a privilege of consolidating everything under its invincible unity, but because it's produced from one mount to the next. So that kind of, that you've univocal, um, uh, power power is normal. And then once you see that, you're actually woken up to that problematic. And that's very true when we start getting to the race stuff. You know, when you say to somebody, race is everywhere, racism is everywhere, all around us, every single, even in our, in the water we drink, Yeah, you know, it comes from the same type of category, not category, but, yep. you know, um, the same theory. Post, same postmodern theory. Yeah, yeah. Philosophy. So it's, so Foucault called it the omnipresence of power. Um, which I, uh, that, that helps clarify, right. What, what is underlying so much of the assumptions of black lives matter and queer theorists and, um, right, all the other, uh, topics that, that will possibly get to, I don't know. I kind of want to talk about obviously critical race theory and intersectionality. Uh, and then it, but, but it goes on into feminist studies and fat studies and, uh, dis disability, uh, studies and 
Anyways, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much of that I have the energy to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to have a, a, yeah. even a thirty-minute conversation about. No, but yeah. I mean, I I do want to talk about obviously these these bigger issues and yeah. So the omnipresence of power. I he I like how they put it here on page ninety-eight. They say the view has gone on to become one of the core beliefs. This view, right? This idea of power being everywhere. It's a core belief of applied postmodernism and social justice activism today. Unjust power is everywhere, always, and it manifests in biases that are largely invisible because they've been internalized as normal. And that's that's why so many people, um, you know, we've uh, we've just internalized it as normal, so we can't see it as clearly. We need to be awakened. We need to be woke to this reality and. Anyone who doesn't uh, acknowledge it uh, is is just asleep still. Right? I mean, it's instead of instead of addressing it, like what we you and I have done oftentimes, at least in what I've seen on Facebook, is is sort of like, okay, what's the evidence? Where's the empirical data for for this suggestion that this was racially motivated? That that this, you know, I mean, we need to understand that there's some evidence supporting the claims. Um, but this just assumes those. It assumes it based upon what we view as normal. And again, that that does take us all the way back to the beginning of the book, the idea of postmodernism just being this narrative. Whatever the prime, the the main meta narrative is, it's it's that way because of oppression. And the only way to get rid of it is to constantly push against that that narrative. Um and, and, and the narrative is assumed to be true. It's not, it's never questioned or challenged with evidence, uh, supported with evidence. When you get into the evidence, then you start reading guys like Thomas Sowell and you go, huh, it doesn't suggest what we've been, <laughs> what, what, what they're saying. Um, there's a mm. lot of other factors that we need to consider. So. Well, and, 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 yeah, yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, and, and that's why, I, you know, in, in page 99, um, Ruben, who uh, mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, you know, Gail Rubin state that, you know, that we should believe sex, gender and sexuality um, to be social constructs, not because it's necessarily true, <laughs> right, but because it's easier to politicize and demand change if they're social constructs than if they're biological. So, wow. I mean, wow. I mean, that- So that's, there's no debate. No. There's nothing to debate. Yeah. <laughs> nothing yeah. to prove. Well, and that goes that goes back to earlier, you know, um, you know, so, so Judith Butler talks a lot about this as well, but the ought needs to go before is for postmodernism. Mm. So ought, you know, and um, so it, in Arist- Aristotelian Greek thought, as well as platonic thought, you're, you often had an epistemology, you know, when you think about the nature of ethics, you think about systematic theology, right? Bavink, right? The nature, you, where, right. where do they start? The nature of God, the epistemology, mm-hmm. all of these things. And then at the very end, Bavink's last, you know, sy- systematic is ethics. And that was the common way of thinking about, okay, what is? Because if I, I can't do if I don't know who I am. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that think about think about that like why how can you do if you don't know who you are where with with this it's you should do and do do doing is the definition of who you are so right so with That's... with with butler she's just it's gender is not gender is performed gender performativity mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. gender is not by definition but 
how you create gender. So it wouldn't matter, say, for example, if you were took on a female role, because you doing that defines that you are a female in that moment. So that's why it's so fluid for her. Go ahead. Yeah. So that's what she means no, by that, gender uh, performativity. Yeah. That's what I was, I was just going to point that out. That's, mm. uh, that they, you're, you're defining gender performativity, that that's what defines who we are. Um, and, and Butler then leads into, uh, uh, she, he, they transition, uh, they stick with Butler for quite a bit, um, talking about compulsory, um, taking the concept of, let's see, it's, um, page 103, Butler theorizes this by using the Derridian notion of phallogen, I don't even know how to pronounce this, phallogocentrism. The idea that social reality is constructed by language that privileges the masculine. And, and so by expanding on Rich's, uh, Adrian Rich's concept of compulsory heterosexuality, wherein heterosexuality is taken as the natural state of being and homosexuality is therefore scripted as a perversion to enforce compliance with doing straightness. Um, and then obviously, so this, this, this theory, uh, relies upon, you know, views of Marxist philosopher, Antonio Gramsci, um, and leads to some language that I, I don't want to share that, that Butler calls yeah. gender, effing. gender effing, Basically. um, the conscious effort to subvert traditional notions of gender identity and gender, gender roles. So just obliterating the categories of roles um yeah well and so. the other thing too that a lot of people don't know you know and this is this i'm glad we're talking about this because i think a lot of christians when they get on and they get on these tangents they don't really know where a lot of these things come from one of the things that they are doing these these a lot of the queer theorists they are they do want to have they have a profound moral relativism about sexuality so they they want to include a defense of basically pedophilia Pedophilia, right. you know, um, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, hmm. Call his name, which is a mo which a movie that came out a few years ago, won like a few Academy Awards. Um, that it's a it's a man who falls in love with a seventeen year old boy. There's a group called I believe Lambda, I believe, I, um, and it actually tries it, it wants to justify um, homosexual men, particularly, to have relationships with younger men. A hmm. lot of people don't know that, and. It would make sense here too, because the radical constructivism, and you know, as they focus on these discourses, they want to liberate sexuality to any types of categories of judgment, you know, to include that. And so, gender performativity is, you know, to jump jump ahead over there, is you know, again, the ought should go first. There is no is, and that would make sense because the minute I describe these categories as right or wrong. I'm already going to the is in the very beginning. I'm oppressive. So many people don't realize that these politics of parody and, you know, how, how you know, all, uh, that basically to call out and subvert every kind of pattern of gender performance, they want to destroy all of that, you know, uh, and lead towards some type of advocacy toward, you know, to complete incoherence, in other words. Right. And um, I don't think, you know, yeah. So it's, there's the very... Very little redeeming qualities about this, you know. Yeah, um, right. You know, I didn't know. If I you agree. To well, I just that. want. Yeah. I wanted to say one more thing, but I like how they close uh, mm -hmm. on sure. actually two more things. So one is this idea of 
they define a or they make a distinction between universalizing view and or uh, the the more minoritizing view and the universalizing view. Hmm. And the minoritizing view is that homosexuals are seen as uh, those in the minority. They're they're the minority group, and therefore hmm. the majority is heterosexual. So they want to they want to get rid of that kind of thinking and replace it with universalizing view, which is, I mentioned, I alluded to this earlier, but it's the view that uh, considers sexuality as a spectrum um, in which everybody has a place on that spectrum. And so we're all a little bit of everything, you know, and it's, we, we might lean one way or the other. And in fact, it's a bit of a fluid spectrum. So you can, you can go wherever you want, whenever you want. Um, which obviously is just a recipe for emotional and, uh, intellectual, uh, disaster for, for someone to, I mean, it's going to lead to some psychological, uh, concerns if, if you're constantly redefining who you are and based upon your identity, that's fluid, right? I mean, there's nothing, there's no, nothing stable in your mind or in your practices based on that. Which um, obviously would be, I think, the the goal when it comes to queer theorists. Um, but man, yeah. it's gonna re it's gonna wreck some lives along well, the way. Well, maybe we should end on the gospel. Let's tell our listeners about that. Mm. In the beginning, God created male and female, and He said mm. that these were good. You know, and, and, and so yeah, I mean, and, and one of the beautiful and, things about that is that God is not insulted by categories. God also, through the chaos, through tohu and bohu, the Hebrew. He creates out of chaos and he creates goodness that we weren't meant for chaos. Our, it, there's something, there's a loss of our humanity. I was just talking to a person, a friend over at CrossFit. Thank you, babe. Um, today <laughs> <laughs> had to come up, you know, and he was just talking about how the chaos, how, you know, when you're constantly moving the go posts over and over and over again, mm. now you're vaccinated, but you still have to wear a mask and the, how psychologically it's been so damaging for him. And for me, we're both sharing. I, it was for me as well um, that it's exhausting because the, we can only handle so much chaos and yeah. gosh, I hope they fire Fauci one of these days. My goodness, <sighs> boot him out, please. The guy's awful for our, for our country. Um, he was good for like five minutes, but you know, anyway, sorry to get all political, but I mean, I just, Okay. Going back on that, we 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 brought up like you know that we were meant. God created the he he created male and female, and he created them as good. And what this is really about is just a new form of Gnosticism that everything is really yeah. mystical, everything is unknown. Jesus is not really a man. Jesus was a mystical spirit. This is not the gospel. This is anti-gospel. You're going to go to hell if you believe this. If mm. I could be bold, you really yeah. are. Because it's not the Christ of the Bible. You can't believe queer theory and be a Christian. Mm. You can't because you believe in a false Jesus. Because Jesus came as a man and Jesus' humanity was good. And it says in 1 John that if you deny the flesh of Christ, you are part of the Antichrist. And I'm going to be bold here, you know, because I'm just quoting scripture. So right. this is so antithetical to the beauty of the word and the beauty of how God made us. You cannot combine this theory with a, with, with a faith that is in line with the teachings of scripture. You have right. to see that God created man and women good by design. And not only that, but he 
through his, the redemption of his, through the, through the birth and the life and the death of Jesus Christ as a man, we are now saved. We had now have a new humanity that is good as well. And that God loves categories <laughs> and that God mm. is not a God of confusion. He is a God of order. And yeah. that is, that is love. So and that is love, not this. So that's the mm. thing, because they claim the rainbow. You know, they claim this This is loving, oh, right. not loving. The, love is through the gospel. Love is through mm. the humanity of Christ. That's love. And don't be tricked by this stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's good, Peter. Uh, I mean, you're, you're dead on. And obviously, he didn't just create us good as male and female, but he created us in such a way that we need one another in order to perpetuate and to fulfill the great, you know, the, um, the creation mandate to multiply and fill the earth. And that's part of what this whole queer theory tries to disrupt and eliminate. But if you literally cannot avoid it, you cannot say that a man can have a, have a baby. It just, mm -hmm. it's, it's not biologically possible. And so you're denying God's created order. You're denying the roles that he also attaches to the gender that you have or to the sex that you have. Right. And you, anyway, so, and, and then he, you know, uh, Paul makes the very clear connection between all of that and within the context of marriage as a, as a uh, picture of the gospel. So it's, you're very, you're absolutely right. This is an attack upon the gospel. It's an attack upon what we know to be true based upon God's revelation that, that God has given us one another and our genders and our roles within marriage in order to honor him and to reflect God's love for us. And so that, therefore I need to be a sacrificial uh, leader of my home and a spiritual leader. And I also, uh, my wife is called to be a, a submissive helper uh, to that. And that's not a derogatory language. It's mm -hmm. not a, like a, that she needs to be my slave or something. That, that's that's language that's applied to to God. Yeah. As it, even says, it even says you to submit to her in the Bible too. So submit to one yeah, God. There's yeah, mutual, sure. there's mutual, mutual submission. submission. But I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and also, so, I mean, yeah, and if I could just lead, uh, yeah, and, and you know, I know we're, um, but I mean, yeah, also well, with we'll common grace, with common grace too, there's the gospel. What about common grace? I would just encourage our listeners too. any theory that says that we're not concerned about truth. We're only concerned about advocacy. That's not common yeah. grace. Common grace. The reason why we've had unbeliever, we've had people on the podcast who are not believers. They've given yeah. a lot of beautiful wisdom because their primary concern is truth. You know, I, I right. do believe that through the area of common grace, you can learn a lot through our unbelieving neighbors and friends, you know, because yeah. if that's Greg is truly about, I don't know where he stands, but you know, he's truly about, uh, seeking truth. And that's why we love having him on. We have other people, other people have come on too. That's their primary concern. And so we we invite that as well, but we have to draw the line when you're just uh, one preaching a Gnostic philosophy and two, you're not even concerned about truth. You even stated it. You're only concerning, concerned about completely disrupting complete disorder, creating chaos. Yeah. And yeah, I don't see. All right. Anyway. Yeah. I think you're right. And uh, uh, even James Lindsay, I've heard him talk. Um, I don't know if it was with Helen as well, Helen Pluckrose, the authors of Cynical Theories, but he was talking about that, the idea that I actually feel like I have more in common with Christians who might disagree with. He's an atheist, right? He's, and we're reading, we're reflecting upon a book by by atheist authors, but they, uh, <laughs> but <true>. they <laughs> why, why yeah. we're doing this is because they, we are combined. We both agree that there is a, an objective reality 
that that mm. cannot be ignored. And mm. what postmodern theory does is it it obliterates truth, the category of truth or objective reality. Anyway, so good yeah. stuff, Peter. I gotta on we that, gotta both yeah we run. gotta both cut we'll out end on sure. that. And on 40, we're almost there. <laughs> all right. That's all right. Really good. <laughs> That's good. Thanks, everyone, all for right. listening.